Welcome back to Arena Craft, a podcast dedicated to Magic Arena, Pioneer, and newer formats. My name is Arjuna, I am your host. As I'm recording this, we have just a few more days left of 2019. You'll probably be listening to this right around the first of the year. So first of all, I just want to congratulate you for surviving what has been one of the rockiest years of magic so far. And I'll be looking forward probably in the next episode. I'll be talking about the year in review with a special guest perhaps and uh, just reflecting on what a nutty year it's been. However, there's just so much excitement and new developments as always happening in the world of magic always something fresh to talk about always something to look forward to so overall it's been a pretty good year for me i'm feeling pretty grateful for my involvement in magic this year feeling excited to be involved in creating content for this game that i love so now it's time to bring in our guest today. Uh, I'm very excited to have Marcus Tomeno on the show. I, I, you know what? I, I didn't discover this before we started recording. How do you pronounce your last name? It's Tomeno. I think you actually did a really good job. <laughs> okay, great. Tomeno. You know, usually as a, as a host, you want to figure these things out beforehand. But, you know, this is rough and raw and ready. <laughs> so uh, I discovered Marcus, uh, like I do a lot of great content creators on R Spikes. And he wrote this fabulous article on building a complete Magic Arena set just by free-to-play drafting. And I thought that this was really brilliant because I think there's just a lot of players out there who are wondering how to maximize their sets, people who are running up against wild card shortage issues, and kind of in general, a little bit stressed about the grind and, and working towards building the collection they want so that they can play the decks they want. So uh, I thought this would just be a really excellent opportunity for us to help people out to fill out their collections and also just get a little bit more clear about the economy of Magic Arena because Magic, is it really is a game of economy. You know, whenever you're collecting anything, whenever you're building a collection, whenever you have things of variable rarity, supply and demand, uh, value. I think it's a really important conversation for any enfranchised Magic player to have about the economy of the game. And so fortunately, Marcus is an economy student and <laughs> working on that. So what, do you want to just give us a, a quick background about uh, what you're studying right now and your history with magic? Yeah, so I, I'm currently studying a PhD in economics. And I have to say, in your intro, you sort of touched on magic is a, it's a game of economy. And I, I couldn't agree more. And I think that's, that's one of the things I actually really enjoy about this sort of um, min-maxing approach, trying to get the most value out of Arena. Um, for me, this is like <laughs> one of the pools of Magic. Um, but yeah, I started playing Magic uh, around Gate Crash. Um, so that's quite a few years back now. Um, and I've been sort of on and off ever since. Um, when Arena came out, I kind of got back into it. Um, it just seemed to me like a really... I guess accessible way, and you know, it was a lot prettier than than Moto, as I'm sure you know. A lot less buggy, and um, yeah, as a godsend. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, and um, yeah, just cheaper as well in terms of you could sort of 
well, I found that as a free-to-play player, you could just make these competitive decks and uh, it didn't cost you anything. So it seemed like the best way for me to enjoy Magic. Yeah, that was the huge draw of Arena for me as well, is that I was playing Magic Online. You know, of course, one of the benefits of Magic Online that you don't get with Arena is that you are able to sell your cards. Yes. And you're also able to buy cards. And so one thing I appreciated about playing Magic Online was that if you wanted to play janky decks with bulk rares in them, you could just throw <laughs> them together for, you know, basically pennies. That's true, um, yeah. Which I really liked. But one of the problems that I ran into was as soon as I wanted to play competitively on Magic Online, it was just a huge upfront investment. And especially if you want to play standard on Magic Online, you've really got to play the market because, uh, you know, your cards are going to lose value pretty quickly if you're not careful, uh, most of the time anyway. So so yeah, I, I really love Arena's ability to get you into the game, to get you playing standard or really any Arena format without having to invest a ton of money if you're smart about it, right? So, <laughs> you know, that's that's what we're hoping to learn here today. So you, Marcus, have been able to build a complete, you have the, the complete set of Eldraine, and you haven't spent a single cent doing that. Is that correct? That's correct. Um, okay. And and no wild cards. So this was something um, that it was a goal that I set myself that I didn't want to use wild cards because I've only recently gotten back into arena um, between M20 and Eldraine. So I'm not set complete in uh, M20 or War of the Spark or anything like that. So. I really wanted to conserve my wild cards because I knew that I would I would need to be crafting cards from those sets, you know, like the, the shock lands and whatnot. So I really didn't want to be using wild cards to fill out Eldraine. And so this was sort of a, an additional parameter that I set on my, my goal to complete the set. That's a really good point, actually. And it's something that I run up against as well. Like, for example... I didn't draft M20 really at all because I just didn't like that draft format. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> yeah, and so, uh, you know, that was that was fine for me in terms of having fun and enjoying my time, but then when it came to build standard decks, I was just woefully short on all of the cards I needed. And so, you know, all of a sudden, I'm, you know, spending wild cards on Golos and Cavaliers and all this stuff. And uh, it really, it, it hurts. <laughs> it yeah, really it eats, hurts into, eats you... into your balance very quickly. Yeah, exactly. So I, I really appreciate this effort. And I think it's really relevant, you know, because I think most players on Arena probably haven't had the same coverage and the same diligence throughout the life of the platform. And so you're always going to need to fill in these gaps. Mm-hmm. And yep. Yeah, especially with sets that are heavy on lands and stuff, it can be really, really hard to catch up. So why don't we start with a brief overview of how you got there? Like, do you want to give us the eagle's eye view of the process that you took and and how many drafts it took to complete your set? Yeah, sure. So um, how did I complete the set? The, the, The thing that I was mainly doing um, for the first six weeks after Eldraine came out on Arena was a best of three drafting, uh, which is called traditional draft um, on the on the platform. And this is a 1500 gem queue where you play to either five wins or two losses. 
and it's best of three, so you're sideboarding in between games. So let let me stop you right there already. Uh, how did you get your fifteen hundred gems to start? <laughs> yeah, so in order to earn gems as a free to play player, uh, you 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 need to go through ranked draft first. So mm. I I had actually accumulated some gems from M twenty ranked draft. So this sort of I guess this is sort of looking back at uh, what I was doing before Eldrain came out. But I had a pile of. I can't remember exactly, but let's call it um, maybe 4,000 gems from just from doing, yeah, uh, actually, I've got a spreadsheet here where I've got my log, but it was probably um, sort of 10 to 20 uh, M20 drafts. Um, uh, yeah, hard data. We love to see it. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so as a, as a free-to-play player, that's really your only way to, to get gems uh, in this game. The, the other way is through duplicates. So with the duplicate protection system, if you mm. open, uh, let's say your rare complete, you've got all the rares in a set and you open a booster. If it would have contained a rare, it gives you 20 gems instead. It's not really a way to earn gems though. It's just kind of, uh, yeah, a, a cherry on top, I guess. Just just so that you don't feel completely bad about <laughs> <Completely robbed. laughs> about not yeah. getting your rare, right? <laughs> okay, so that's how this starts. Then is you get some gold by playing the game. Um, you know, probably by grinding a little bit of standard, and then you start playing in your ranked drafts with gold, and then hopefully you get some kind of a winning record, and you start to earn gems. And then when you accumulate enough gems, then you start putting those into your best of three drafts. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the thing to caveat there is you can't really grind standard, uh, at least when you, when you start playing, right? Because you don't, you don't have that tier one competitive deck. So joining the, the constructed queues, like this uh, standard event and traditional standard event, um, they have good uh, rewards in terms of the... I think if you have about a 55% win rate, you can actually earn gold in those queues. But you do need to have, you know, a decently competitive deck in order to be achieving that 55% win rate. Because most other people in, in those queues, they won't be playing Jack. They'll be playing, you know, Cauldron Cats and uh, Simic Flash and these sorts of decks. So you do need something that can hold its own. So I, th I think when you're starting out as a free-to-play player, your gold is really coming from quests and daily wins so i think it's important to sort of optimize on that front make sure you're getting you know a, a decent amount of daily wins make sure that your quests aren't overfilling um and that's really where your your gold income is coming from you, you can make upwards of 1500 gold a day just from managing your quests and your daily wins well Okay, so this is good. You know, I was thinking we might talk about this later, but since you brought it up now, uh, why don't we just go into, you have a quick primer on how to manage your quests and how to get that, how to maximize that gold. So why don't you just take us through that portion of it? Yeah, sure. So, um, I, I mean, I guess a lot of your listeners are probably aware, but every quest, it either gives you 500 or 750 gold. And you get one quest a day. So I think it's midnight Pacific time. The arena, uh, the client will try and put another quest into your quest log. Um, and they all, the quest will also give you 500 mastery XP. We'll talk about mastery probably a bit later, I imagine. But 
there's sort of two things that you need to make sure that you're doing if you want to be getting the most gold from quests. Um, so rule number one, I would say, is, is never let your quest log overfill. So if you, if you have three quests in your quest log and midnight rolls around, you've essentially burned 500 gold and 500 mastery XP because it's going to try and give you a quest but your quest log is full, so that quest just disappears, basically. So you've missed the opportunity to get this gold, and that's just a really bad outcome if you're a, if you're a free-to-play player because you need to be earning that that gold. It's going to be letting you enter the, the ranked draft queue, which is your ticket to gems. So you need to keep the train rolling, and, and that starts by making sure you're getting a quest every day and that, yeah, it's not overfilling. Yeah, so basically there's a maximum amount of gold that you can earn per day and then per week, right? And so if you want to be hitting that maximum, you've got to be diligent about it. Yeah, so yeah, indeed. And and quest management is is half of that. The other rule I would say with quests is uh, try to re-roll your 500 gold quests. So some players aren't aware of this, but if you actually click on a quest, you can re-roll it. In other words, you can trade it in for a new one, which is just it's randomly generated. So if you have a 500 gold one, by clicking on it, you're, you're essentially giving yourself another chance of getting a 750 gold quest instead of 500 gold. And when you're starting out, that, that 250 gold is actually uh, quite a big bump. So I, I think that players should be trying to do this when possible. Except if you're me, in which case, every time I click on it, it'll re-roll for another 500 gold quest in colors <laughs> I'm not playing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've been getting that a lot recently too. And I don't actually know what the ratio is of like, what's the probability chance of getting a 500 gold versus a 750, but it, it certainly seems like the 750 gold quests are more elusive yeah, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I've definitely been guilty of being that player who I'll get a 500 quest, which is play 40 lands, and I'll just think, oh, whatever, YOLO, let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think this is why I think it's a less important rule than letting you know making sure that your quest log never overfills. If you're feeling a bit lazy, if you're not in the mood for playing a lot of magic on a particular day, and you've got a 500 gold quest that you're happy to do, I think that's fine, you know, like you're saying to yourself, look, this, this extra 250 gold isn't worth it. I'm just going to do my quest. But but never letting your quest log overfill, that's sort of, mm. it's a bigger deal, I think. Yeah, that's key. Okay, excellent. Well, good to know. And I think it is very basic, but I think we can all use a reminder. And I think some of us listening might actually not know some of the specifics of that. So I think it's good to it's good to cover that. Okay, so now we're getting into, we've earned our gold, uh, you know, we've been doing some of these uh, ranked best of one drafts, and we're working towards earning our gems. And tell me, off the top of your head, do you know what kind of a record do you generally need to be accumulating a decent number of gems playing these ranked drafts? Well, the thing with ranked draft is that the gem rewards are actually pretty flat relative to best of three. So they kind of rise linearly. So if you get your, I think one win is 100 gems, two wins is 200 gems, and then it goes like 300, 450, 600, 850, 950, I believe. That's just off the top of my head, so <laughs> don't quote me, but it, it's a fairly linear structure. So if, if you're a player with a 50% win rate, 
you're going to be going, you know, let's say 3-3, three, three. you're going to be making 300 to 400 gems, and that's that. If you're, you know, pulling 6-3, you know, you're really crushing the, the queue in the rank that you're in, then you're going to be making 650 to 850 gems. So there's no real, like, threshold um, in terms of, like, this is where it kicks into being really good value. It just kind of rises linearly with your, with your win rate. And um, in terms of turning gold into gems, you don't really have an alternative. So it, you don't really need to be considering... I mean, there is the alternative of spending gold on packs. But if you're a 50% win rate player, you, you shouldn't be going anywhere near packs. And even, I think, a 45% win rate player will be, get, be getting more progress towards set completion from ranked draft than buying five packs with their 5,000 gold. That's something that I wanted to ask you about. And so um, I definitely want to come back to that in just a moment. I just wanted to offer one trick, which I have discovered, which has worked fairly well for me in playing the traditional drafts. If you have a draft format of a previous set that you feel pretty confident in, you can get a massive edge when it comes back around on Arena. And so this is what I discovered is, for example, um, when Eldraine came out, or, or even M20, I remember War of the Spark draft just kind of came back around on the ranked queue. And I started just, you know, I really liked that format. And so I started playing these 5,000 gold best of one drafts. And I went 7-0 like four times in a row. And, <laughs> and I just thought, this is gangbusters, you know, like this, yeah. I, I felt like I broke it. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I think what was going on there is that I think that there were a fair number of people who maybe hadn't really gone deep in that format or who were just casually playing. It wasn't top of mind. Maybe they didn't really play it the first time around and they were kind of dipping their toe in. Yeah. And so I felt like essentially I was farming that group of people. Yeah. And so I don't know if you've had similar experiences, but I've just found the same thing happened. A, a Guilds of Ravnica draft came back around, you know, and I mean, it's been a long time since that set was regularly drafted. Yeah. And again, I just I found it very easy to get a 6x or a 7x record playing that. Yeah, I had a similar experience, but I was on the receiving end of your 7-0 <laughs> runs because <laughs> okay. I was so yep. sick of I was so sick of M20 that when something new came around, which was like I think it was, I've, I think I drafted both uh, Guilds of Ravnica and Ravnica Allegiance when they came around as, as the best of one queue, just to get a change because I was really tired of drafting these really vanilla decks in M twenty. Yeah, and you know the win rates that I was posting in those queues were nothing like what I was posting when Eldraine came out and when I was just sort of chaining these best of threes back to back and that that was because there was probably pros like you that had that had played the set before and actually knew what they were doing so i think that's definitely yeah good advice like if you if you're familiar with an old set jump in those old queues if you want to um, yeah a ticket to gems yeah yeah it's just a one of many ways to get an edge and you know it doesn't necessarily feel good to kind of... Um, it, it, sometimes it feels a little bit like beating up kids and taking their lunch money, right? <laughs> but hey, you know, we, we've all, we all look for our edge in magic and that's one of the ways to do it. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so now I want to get back to this point that you raised because I think that this is a central question that arena players have is, 
Okay, I have five thousand gold in in the bank. Why would I sign up for a draft with it rather than just crack five packs? Because I think the reasoning in, that goes into cracking the five packs is okay. I'm guaranteed to get five rares or mythics, and for every five packs that I crack, well, every six packs basically, I'm gonna get an additional rare or mythic. So it's. I think a lot of people will look at that and they'll say it's basically signing up for one of these drafts is basically worth five random rares and almost one rare or mythic wild card. Yeah. So I think a lot of people, especially if they just want to get jamming some constructed, might opt for that approach. So I'm curious, and I'd love to hear the specifics of the economy around why you think it's better value in terms of building your rares, uh, you know, rares and mythics to go with the draft instead. Sure. So, um, so let's say you have 5,000 gold and you're deciding between purchasing those five packs, which is what a lot of players do, or using that 5,000 gold to enter the ranked draft queue. That's the best of one draft. And let's assume you just have a 50% win rate in, in that draft queue. So you're an average player. And in fact, the way that ranked draft works is it's going to be putting you against people of your rank. So you should be, you know, nearish to 50%. Um, so if you purchase the five packs, as you said, you're getting five uh, res and, you know, and or mythics, I should say, that you don't own because of duplicate protection. And then you're getting five sixths of a wild card. And and I think the wild card is really what pushes people into opening packs because everyone always feels like I need more wild cards. There's another deck that I want to make. And yeah, opening packs is, is actually the quickest way to get wild cards. But let's just look at the ranked draft queue option. If you use the 5,000 gold to enter the ranked draft queue, you're going to win uh, 1.32 packs on average, with your 50% win rate. Um, so you always earn between one and two packs in, in, in ranked draft. So with a 50% win rate, you're getting an expected value of 1.3. Plus you're getting gems. And with a 50% win rate, you're getting about 350 gems. Um, so that's kind of like a, a bit of a reimbursement of your entry fee, but in, in the form of gems. Mm, right. And then you're getting, if you're rare drafting, you're getting approximately three rares and or mythics that you don't own. Um, some drafts you'll get more because bots, believe it or not, bots do, do pass rares and mythics. It doesn't happen often in Eldrain. It happens a lot with previous sets, but on average you should get three car, uh, rares and or mythics that you don't own. Um, and the gems that you got back, that's roughly half the gem entry fee for the draft. So it's as if you only paid half price mm. for 1.32 packs plus the three rares that you rare drafted, and then you're making a bit of progress on the wild card track from the 1.3 packs that you earned. So you're actually ahead of the pack opener in terms of what you, the progress that you made towards set completion for the price that you paid. Mm, and, right. And a big part of that is because you're getting the gems back, right? You're getting this sort of reimbursement of your money, which you can then put towards a future draft. So value-wise, it's actually getting you further ahead. And I mm -hmm. think... Uh, and, and I just want to pause you there because 
Uh, I think basically when you open the five packs, you're getting a guaranteed five rares and you're, you know, basically a sixth rare, almost. Yeah. Right? A rare of your choice with, with the wild card. Which yeah, I think is exactly. A big pull. But one of the nice things about the draft is is that you're getting three plus rares, right? So you could get four or five rares. Yes. Um, and, and if you get half of your money back, it's like essentially, I know that it, there's not exactly a one for one, but it's almost like you're getting two drafts or uh, two drafts worth of value for about that 5,000 gold. Yes. And then you're getting minimum access to six rares plus maybe more rares plus the packs and all of that kind of stuff. So is that, am I kind of understanding you right there? Yeah, that's it. That's it. And there's a lot of bonuses as well that, you, you know, you're making a lot of vault progress as well from, from drafting because you're getting 45 cards. So the commons and non-commons that you have play sets of, they're all going towards your vault. So you're going to get wild cards that route. Admittedly, it's a bit slow, but there's just a lot of little bonuses from drafting that all really add up and just make it really good value. And I think mm. um, one of the one of the reasons that opening packs is so popular is just it's because of this. People get hooked on wild cards. When a mm. new set comes out, they're just like, okay, I'm going to craft four Okos, four Embercleaves, you know, whatever. They're just they're crafting um, all these sorts of tier one cards, and they can make maybe one or one and a half competitive decks, and then they're out of wild cards, and they're like, oh crap, what do I do now? <laughs> I need to open packs to get more wild cards. So yeah. it's kind of like, I, I make this analogy in, in, in the post where it's like, it, you're getting hooked on this drug and it's like, you need to keep opening packs in order to fuel your addiction to wild cards. But if you, if you sort of break out of that and you just start drafting, then what you'll notice is that your set just sort of organically starts to complete itself. And over time, you just become less and less dependent on wild cards and you can kind of break the cycle over time. So mm. I, I really encourage players who are kind of on the fence to just give drafting a shot. And you, over time you'll just see that your sets will just fill up and you'll be able to play all, all different kinds of decks. And that's really what I love about magic is the ability to just any sort of crazy brew that I see, I can just craft it because I, I have the whole set, you know? Now, I think one of the things, I think one of the aha moments for me with your talking about this came towards the beginning of the episode when you were talking about lacking rares from previous sets. And I think that that's something that really stood out to me about this is that when you get a complete set, you're not just getting it for this standard or for this iteration, you're, you have it forever. And so um, I think when, when you're using, let's say you want to play Eldraine Standard and you're using your wild cards to get your questing beasts and, you know, your brazen borrowers and, and Kenrith. Or, or, well, Kenrith's not really. Okay, bad example. But, <laughs> but you know, you're just, you know, Fabled Passage, right? All of these cards that you're going to need in the set. Yes. So you buy them now and you've got them now and you play them now and that's all very well. But let's say... Two sets for oh Theros. Okay, Theros is is coming out, and that's a very enchantment centric uh, plane. So let's say enchantments become really a hot thing again, and suddenly there's some tier one deck which is playing, you know, 
one of the random rare or mythic enchantments from Eldraine that you didn't happen to craft, right? Yes. Then yeah. all of a sudden you're looking at this deck that runs four rares or four mythics and you don't have those in your collection. And so you've essentially what you've done is you borrowed the rares you were going to need from the future to play the deck that you wanted to play now. That's and exactly right, yeah. So I think that that's, that's one of the kind of unsung benefits of having a complete set is that maybe maybe half or even more of the rares and mythics in your current set are not particularly playable in the current format. But as time goes on, and especially you know if you're investing in historic, especially if you like doing fun stuff like Brawl, especially if you're going through a month where you are just sick to death of the standard format and you want to try some random jank, these are all scenarios in which putting in the legwork to complete your set a while back will really come back to pay you. Yeah, absolutely. It's the best insurance that you can have against the meta changing in a way that you can't really predict and leaves you out in the cold with this deck that used to be competitive but just doesn't really function anymore in the new environment. Yeah, I love it. So that that was really a head expand moment for me in this conversation. And it's kind of like, a, yeah, it's just that long term investment approach to magic. Now, I, I wanted to ask you, you brought up the vault. And something that a friend taught me, and I wanted to run this by you and see what you thought about it was this friend said, look, over your course of playing, you're going to accumulate hundreds of common and uncommon wild cards. And one of the ways that you can fill up your vault quicker is by using those common and uncommon cards to craft just, you know, random cards in the Eldraine set so that every time you do a draft or every time you open a pack or every time you basically do anything, instead of those commons and uncommons that you're getting going in and filling out your collection... They're just going straight into your vault. Is this something that you're familiar with? And do you know anything about the economy of that? Yeah, so I, I remember reading this a while ago on Reddit. And the first time that I heard it, sort of the, the strategy proposed was as soon as a new set comes out, dump all your common and uncommon wild cards into just crafting random things in, in the new set. Um and I sort of scratched my head and I was like, but you need to you need to sort of collect I think it's something like 300 uncommons in order to fill the vault. And in the vault, there's three uncommon wild cards. So aren't you sort of burning money? And then I was like, <laughs> wait, no, this is a way of converting common and uncommon wild cards into rare and mythic wild cards, exactly. which are actually a valuable resource. So it's not because you're sort of, you're not going infinite with the, the turning uncommons into more uncommons or anything like that. It's just a way for you to turn what would otherwise be useless, you know, you've got 500 common wild cards just sitting there gathering dust. Just burn them all when a new set comes out. And you, yeah, as you say, you'll be making progress towards the vault sooner. So you'll be opening more rare and mythic wild cards. That's the payoff there. And it, it makes complete sense. Yeah, it, that, that was definitely a level up moment for me. Now, of course, you know, you might want to be a little bit conservative with it. Like you might leave yourself 10 or 15 uncommon wild cards and maybe the same amount of common cards just in case, you know, if you want to build a standard deck, they do 
uh, believe it or not, some standard decks do run commons and uncommons <laughs> in them, and so <laughs> yeah, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't exhaust all of them. Yeah, yeah sure. exactly. Just leave a couple in case you want to fill out a deck, and usually, you know, usually just through whatever you're doing, whether it's cracking packs or drafting you're usually building them up quite quickly anyway and so usually you're just filling in oh i need a i need a couple of opts or i need a sinister sabotage or i need a you know just just any random obnoxious grasp right uh just didn't happen to have a full play set of those so i'm going to make yeah. a couple of those but by and large you won't actually need to be crafting play sets of that many anyway and I think one of the ways you can do this especially smartly is uh, you can be selective about what you craft. So, so for example, if you're looking at a set like Eldraine, you can just make four innkeepers, right? You can make four lucky clovers. You can make, uh, you can craft these cards that you're gonna have a much higher chance of wanting to play. Mm-hmm. And so that's another way in which you know maybe. If you want to be careful about running out of your commons and uncommons, you can just try to be strategic about making ones that are standard playable. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. So, you know, we've discussed a little bit of the incentive why you would want to draft versus crack your packs. And now let's talk about what does it actually look like? So when you're in a draft, are you prioritizing rare drafting? Yeah, so... The advice that's generally given to people who want to fill out their set is take any rare or mythic that you don't already have a full playset of, um, and this is this is called rare drafting. Um, and obviously, if you're forced to take every rare or mythic that you don't have a playset of, it's going to hurt your win rate a little bit, right? Because you know there'll be a pack, and maybe you're deep in black, and there's a bake bake into a pie. But there's also a Yorvo or something, and and you don't have four copies of Yorvo yet, so you've got to take the Yorvo. And and that hurts, right? I mean, no no drafter wants to pass up just one of the premium removal spells in that color just for a card that's not going to go in that deck. Yeah, it, it does hurt, and I think that there has been some analysis done. I've seen it sort of floating around on Reddit in terms of you know what is the actual. Uh, damage to your win rate mm. and it kind of it had it had this conclusion that look it's it's only sort of two to three percent so the cost is kind of worth it in our eyes um i i personally i drafted every mythic that i didn't have but res i would let go by me and the reason the reason for that was just i wasn't i wasn't targeting rare completion i was targeting set completion that was the goal that i set myself i want to have every card in the set and i knew that i would be rare complete much sooner than i was mythic complete so the bottleneck for me was just going to be collecting all the mythics i didn't want to let any progress on that front just you know right slide by so i i i I was very diligent if i was taking magic mirrors that i knew were never going to end up in my deck but um yeah, and I guess the benefit of, of that method as well is you don't see mythics that often. So the required deviations from what you would otherwise draft are less frequent. But mm. if, if, if the goal that you set yourself is, I just want to have all the rares in you know, Eldraine, let's say, which I think is, you know, that's it's a really good goal to set yourself because it's, it's much more achievable in the full set. 
And a lot of people complain about rare wild cards instead of mythic wild cards. People seem to run out of rares before they run out of mythics. So it's a it's a perfectly fine goal. And in that case, then yeah, you probably should be taking the Yorvo because that's really going to accelerate you towards your goal of rare completion. Yeah. Now, okay, here's an interesting thing, and I I wonder if you have any reflections on this. I was noticing this too, this uh, rare bottleneck, which so many people talk about on Arena. And it's definitely a thing. I myself have encountered it as well. I think it's really common for a player to have three or four mythics and zero rares. But I want to stop and point out that there have been a few sets recently that have been particularly rare hungry. Um, the first is the Ravnica sets because they had the Shocklands in them. And yep. so those are just, I mean, they're obligatory, right? And that's 40. I mean, you, you add them all up, it's 40 rare cards. That's a lot. I mean, by anyone's metric, that is a lot of cards. And especially since that set is already gone, that's 40 wild cards. You're not cracking those packs, basically. So that really hurts. Now, another set which has been very rare hungry was War of the Spark. And that is simply because there were so many rare, there were so many playable rare planeswalkers in that set. Yep, you had three fairy, and Nissa was in there as well. Yeah, Nissa. Um, if you were playing Sarkin Five, that was a rare. Even Ugin, right? I think Ugin was a rare, not a mythic. And so there was this kind of glut of cards that ordinarily would have been mythic and there were kind of mythic power level and also cards that you would definitely want to run far of such as three fairy um or you know nissa's often a three or four of and so that really skewed it i think in those three sets were very rare hungry sets and i don't know what it's going to look like moving forward in these new sets so for example you know any any set which has a cycle of of must have lands is going to be a very rare hungry set but i i'm just going to be curious to see with these upcoming sets if they're going to be quite as rare hungry because if you look at a set like m20 for example that's actually a somewhat mythic hungry set so with the Cavaliers being a good example, like if you want to play a Fires of Invention deck these days with the Cavaliers, that's just going to be eight Mythics off the top. Yep. This is why I don't play Fires. I don't want <laughs> right, to spend those right. Mythic wildcards. So I, I just, that's something that I wanted to point out is that part of this whole economy is think, you, you actually have to think to yourself, what is the real scarcity in this set? And what are the cards that really are taxing you? And what rarities are they at? And I think, you know, one of the things that I do when I'm drafting, and especially when I'm rare drafting, is if I see a card which is not going to go near my deck, but which is just a very standard playable card, I'm a lot more likely to rare draft it. So a good example of that would be Knights of the Ebon Legion is a card which, you know, if you're not drafting black, oh well. But that that's just goes in many, many decks. Or Brazen Borrower, excellent example. You know, if you see a Brazen Borrower, it's just probably a good idea to snatch it up because it's a mythic and it goes in so many decks. Same with Questing Beast, right? So I think that's another good thing to do when you're doing these drafts, is, and especially if you're not tied to this 100% completion, but if you're just trying to grow your collection in a, in a smart way and in a clever way, 
is to maybe say, okay, I don't really need this happily ever after, but <laughs> but I'm probably not going to pass up on questing beast, right? Yeah. No. Yeah. Really good point. I kind of sidetracked us a little bit, but I thought that that was an important thing to discuss. So you you were basically the conclusion that we had come to was that rare drafting doesn't actually end up hurting your draft as much as you might imagine. And especially mythic drafting, because it comes up so rarely, is probably not going to hurt your draft. I think it is good for players to remember that, you know, you have a 40-card deck, and you often will only see a third or a half of your deck in a limited game. And such is the nature of draft that sometimes you'll complete an entire draft with only drawing that good card once or twice. And so, and I think we've all had that experience, like, you know, like you first pick a Nyssa and you think, oh, this is going to be great, you know, and you play five games or you play three matches and you draw Nyssa once. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of a feels bad, right? So yeah, definitely. it's just good. It's it's times like that that I point to and you say, okay, yeah, rare drafting, you know, it, it could definitely hurt your deck and it's not something you should do like at the pro tour. It's not something you should do at a mythic championship or any competition where you really want to win but i point to to situations like that to highlight the fact that it might not hurt your deck as much as you think it will yeah and i think the sort of we're talking about the cost here the benefit is just how much how much more quickly you actually arrive at your goal whether that's you know just having a almost full set or having all the rares or what have you um in my case it took me 44 drafts to to have rare drafted 30 mythics in the set. And that was the point at which I opened all the packs that I had accumulated. So had I not been mythic drafting, had I not been taking those magic mirrors, then yeah, it probably would have been maybe 60 to 80 drafts that I would have needed to have done. So it can potentially double the time that it takes to actually reach your goal. Um, So yeah, you, you sort of, you're looking at the benefit of, okay, I'm getting to my goal a lot quicker and that's good because then I can start playing with these cards that I'm actually earning sooner. Mm. Okay, so so you did 44 drafts, and what did you have at the end of that? Because as I understood it from your article, you actually weren't set complete at that point. Is that correct? Yeah, so I've, I've kind of taken it to the extreme where um, there's an argument to be made for not opening your packs as you go. Um, and so... Uh, should we talk about that briefly? Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, let's go for yeah, it. Yeah, so, so basically, um, if you open your packs as you earn them, this actually has this kind of annoying effect so that it, it slows your progress towards set completion. Uh, and the reason why that happens is because it means it's much, much more likely that in future drafts, you're actually going to encounter rares and mythics that you will already have full play sets of. Yeah. The reason why you have full play sets of them is because you are opening your packs as you are going. And so what's the downside? Well, the downside is you're you've deprived yourself of an opportunity to progress your set completion. You know, you open you open a pack and it has a brazen borrow in it and you're like, oh, I've already got four of those because you know two of them I saw in previous drafts and two of them I opened for my packs. Whereas had you kept the packs then you could have taken this brazen borrower. It would have been your third. And the packs that you would have kept would have 
resulted in perhaps another mythic that you would have opened instead. So that's kind of, it's it's like abusing Arena's duplicate protection system to, you know, it's going to give you only those rares mythics that you don't have when you're finished drafting. This not opening packs business is really, it's about not depriving yourself of the opportunity to progress your set in in drafts. If you're opening your packs as you go, so I, I can give a, I'll give a really contrived example. Um, I think it will make it clear. So let's say, let's say you're missing only two cards in the set. One of them is a copy of Garrick, and one of them is a copy of Rankle. So you've got 58 out of 60 Mythics. You're just missing Garrick and Rankle. And in your inventory, you've got one pack of Eldraine. And you've got two choices. You can either do a draft and then open all the packs that you have. So that's one plus your draft winnings. Or you can open the pack, the single pack that you have, and then do a draft and then open the packs that you get in the draft. So the question is, do I open this one pack that I have now or do I open it after I do the draft? And suppose you open the pack first and you open it up, you get lucky, there's a mythic in it, it's a Garrick. And you go, sweet, I just, I got, you know, one extra mythic, now I'm only missing one copy of Rankle. And then you go into the draft because that's what you're going to do after you open the pack. And first pack you open, there's a Garrick. And you go, oh, well, this is kind of unfortunate because I already have four Garricks. I'm going to take it because it's such a great card in Limited, but it's not going to be progressing my uh, completion of the set. And you finish the draft, you open your packs, there were no Mythics in there. So that option has, you, you got one Mythic from your, from your pack, but you didn't complete the set. Now, had you, had you drafted before you opened the pack, and this is a very contrived example, as I'm sure you can tell already, but let's say you draft, you open the Garrick and you go, sweet, this is the fourth copy of Garrick. So you take it, you do the draft, you open the packs from your draft, they didn't contain any mythics, and then you open the pack that had a, the Garrick in it initially. Because of duplicate protection, that's not going to have a Garrick in it now, that's going to have a Rankle. So you've essentially completed the set because you drafted before you opened your packs. And if you take this to the extreme, what it suggests is get all your drafting out of the way before you touch any packs. Mm. In my case, that was 44 drafts. I had 270 packs just sitting on the client. And that was the point at which I said, okay, uh, the probability of being set complete after opening 270 packs, given that I have 30 Mythics, it's it's high enough that I'm willing to roll the dice, and I was lucky I, I got there. Um, but th- this is kind of the logic taken to the extreme. It's it's not touching a pack for you know the first six weeks of a, of a set being available, which I can imagine is very unappealing for a mm. lot of players. Like we we love to open packs. <laughs> okay, so here's what I'm thinking though: is that it definitely is in your interest to start opening your packs before your rare complete correct because you because my this is my assumption is that let's say that you had 270 packs and you were rare complete but you weren't mythic complete that would mean that you'd basically be earning 20 gems a pack unless you opened a mythic right and to me that seems like a massive loss of value so am i am i correct in that assumption 
Well, you're correct in that you'll be getting 20 gems in, in most of your packs. I guess my, my thinking on that would be, I'm going to get those gems anyway if I hold on until later. So I'm not really losing value by not doing it now. That, that would be, it's not kind of a gain or loss in value in terms of whether you open the pack now or later in terms of the 20 gem packs. It's really just in terms of the, the mythics. If in, in the case that that's the only thing that you're missing, uh, you'll be able to accelerate your mythic completion by waiting until you're finished drafting before you open all your packs. Uh, it's, I consider it kind of a, it's an inconvenient truth. Um, yeah, I love to open packs as much as uh, anyone else does, but you'll actually get to set completion faster if you hold off until the end because you'll be less likely to encounter cards that you already have playsets of in your drafts if you're not opening your packs as you go. What I'm assuming here is that I would rather have any random rare or mythic in the set than 20 gems, right? Like, yeah. I think, you know, yes. the, the gems to me aren't worth the cards. And they're certainly, you know, like one rare wild card, for example, is going to be worth a lot more than 20 gems. And so if I'm interpreting it correctly from what you're telling me, I think that you would probably get the most value when you if you start to crack them before you are rare complete, right? Because then every pack that you open is going to have a rare in it that you didn't have before. Is that right? Or, or I, I guess maybe perhaps I'm a little bit confused still on how it's giving you stuff. So let's say if you open a pack is it always going to give you a rare that you don't have? Or is it just that if it gives you a rare that you already have a, a complete set of, then you just get the gems? Like, do, do you know what I mean? So if you're not mythic complete, sorry, if you're not rare complete and you open a pack and the pack wants to give you a rare, it will give you a rare that you don't have a copy of. So let me just clarify. So if you're not rare complete in the set, you're never going to get gems as long as it has any rare that it can still give you that you didn't have. Is that right? That is correct. Okay. Okay, cool. So then that would make me think that maybe it would be a good idea to start cracking your packs if you were like uh, 80% rare complete or something. Does, does that hold up? Well, there's going to come a point where you say, if I open my packs, I'll probably be rare complete at the end of it. So I'm not I'm not advising people to draft until they're you know complete because completing a set just from the drafting and ignoring the packs that's going to take so long, yeah. right? Yeah. You don't really have duplicate protection in the draft packs that you're opening. Um, so you kind of what happens is you as you draft you build up this collection. Your collection is going to have some holes in it, the cards that you didn't get to draft. And when you open all your packs at the end, duplicate protection forces those packs to give you just the holes, just the stuff that you're missing. Right. So you, it's sort of the quickest way to do it because it maximizes the efficiency of the boosters. The boosters are never going to give you cards that you already have, whereas drafts can give you cards that you already have. So may as well do the drafts first, packs second, because the packs have this duplicate protection. Yeah, okay. And so do you have like a target metric that you aimed for for cracking your packs? Like did you 
what level of of rare and or mythic set completion were you at before you decided to start opening your packs? Yeah, so there's kind of a formula that you can use, like the number of rares or, or mythics that you open from, let's say, n packs. It's a it's a random variable, and it follows a particular distribution. So you can imagine sort of like a bell curve with like an average, and it has some some variance about it. So you can actually calculate uh, things like if I open all my packs now, what is the probability that at the end of it I'll have all the mythics in the set? Um, so I, I I calculated that probability and I tracked it over time, and when it got to fifty percent. I had I decided that I was kind of done with Aldrain. I'd, I'd had enough of the format, <laughs> and I said fifty percent. You know, let's roll the dice, and and sure enough, I got there. But it could have gone the other way just as easy, uh, as easily. In which case, I probably would have been missing you know two or three mythics. Um, but it's kind of up to you when you decide you want to open all your packs. Um, you know, if you only want to target rare completion, you'll be able to do it a lot sooner than if you're targeting mythic completion. If you want to have a 75% chance of um, achieving your goal after you open all the packs, then you'll need to accumulate more packs than someone who just wants to roll the dice like me at 50%. Um, but yeah, uh, there's just a formula that you can use. Um, if you just search binomial distribution online, there'll be a calculator that you'll be able to use uh, and it will give you the probability that you that you need to be uh, looking at in terms of making that decision. Now, just so that our listeners know exactly what to do, what would you do once you pull up the binomial calculator? What kinds of numbers are you are you putting into it? Yeah, so the binomial distribution has has two parameters. So one is n, which is like the number of trials. In our case, that's the number of packs that you have. Each pack is kind of like a trial. It's an experiment which might give you a, a rare or it might not give you a rare. Um, well, I, I should be saying mythic, um, but I mean, you can use it for rares. The probability of opening a rare is roughly seven over eight, and the probability of opening a mythic is uh, approximately one, one over eight. eight. Okay. And just tell me, how did you get this probability? Did you calculate it yourself based on um, averages or, or did you get this from somewhere else? Yeah, so wizards are actually cagey with these probabilities. It's actually very difficult to find anywhere that says uh, the probability of opening a mythic is 1 over 8. Um, so uh, there's, a, there's a website called 17lands.com and basically it just um, has a whole lot of data it accumulates draft of, uh, data from anyone who installs the uh, the 17 lands add-on. but So it has data on drafts and stuff, but it, it also has data on pack openings. So if you look at it for Eldrain, it's just like from 2,000 packs opened, here's like everything that was opened. And so you can sort of see, okay, this is the probability of opening a mythic. It's about 1 over 8. And you can also make an adjustment for, um, for wild cards. Um, if you don't want to include those in your sort of success probability. Mm, okay. Um, so yeah, uh, it's it's not from wizards themselves. It's kind of ascertained from data, but in in paper and in arena, it appears to be about a one on a one on eight chance that you that you open a mythic and a seven on eight chance that you open a rare. Okay, that's that's really good. That's just a good ballpark to have in your mind. 
When you were doing your big pack cracking, was there a certain point at which you had completed your rare set before your mythic set, and then you were just accumulating a bunch of gems at that point? Yeah, that's exactly it's exactly correct. So I had uh, sixty, approximately sixty rares before the crack, and thirty mythics, which is actually kind of, kind of an insane ratio, but just goes to show. Um, that when you're not rare drafting, you're only mythic drafting, you actually don't end up with that many rares. Mm, right. um, and so, yeah, as you can imagine, if you've got 60 rares, you're missing, uh, I think it's about 150 rares from the set. And I had 270 packs. So, yeah, I'm not sure if it was, a, maybe it was halfway or so. Uh, yeah, I guess it was about halfway because um, most packs contained rares seven on eight packs should contain a rare and so i got rare complete and the reason that i knew i was rare complete was because i started opening uh once upon a time which was a card that had been banned and so you're not actually allowed to open <laughs> once upon a time unless you have every other rare in the oh, set Oh, that's hilarious so, <laughs> so i was just getting random rares i was getting you know cards that i never drafted like doom foretold yeah. and uh you know uh just these random cards and then and then i suddenly saw for once upon a times when I opened 10 packs and I was like, huh. And then sure enough, it was 20 gems, 20 gems, 20 gems. So um, yeah, that's sort of the rare completion point that I knew that I was going to hit sooner, Yeah, but I had to keep going because I was still missing so many mythics at that point. Right. Okay. So it seems to me like someone following this approach, if they just wanted to be rare complete, then they could basically just keep track of their rares and as soon as the number of packs that they have exceeds the number of remaining rares that they need, or maybe a little bit after that, because they're going to get you know a handful of mythics as well, then they could just start cracking their packs from there. And then you know they there'd be a certain point, like if you if you remove the one in eight mythics and then do the calculations from there, you'll you'll basically be guaranteed to be rare complete. Yep, that's it. That's that's a really simple application of it. And I guess it's easier to do it with the rares because it's almost every pack has a rare. So you can just sort of make this small adjustment for the mythics. But yeah, that's the idea. It's just sort of, okay, I'm missing this many. I have this many packs. Okay, that sort of matches up. I'm going to do it now. And, you know, with some luck on your side, you should be um, you should be rare complete after that. And if not, you should only be missing, you know, maybe two to three rares. And those res will be the ones that you open in your next pack. You know, you will open L drain packs after this because you'll be getting them in mastery passes and whatnot from future sets. So uh, it's not like you need to go and spend wild cards when you're missing those final two to three. Like you'll definitely get those at some point. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This is, this is really fantastic because I think it just gives a methodology. Like I think a lot of people, end up having kind of an ad hoc approach or, or they're just, I just draft when I feel like it and then I crack packs if I feel like it or if I need a little dopamine rush or, <laughs> or <laughs> maybe I have a specific goal I'm working towards like completing a certain deck and I, and I do need that wild card or, or whatever. Um, but I really like that what you've provided is a strategic framework that someone can use to assess 
what is actually the the EV. It's a certain kind of it's the card collection EV of taking these various in-game actions. And if I want to maximize my EV for being rare complete, being mythic complete, being set complete, um, or, or anywhere on that spectrum, then I can I can put my effort towards whichever part of that I'm trying to achieve. Yeah, that's it. And that's what I get such a kick out of. Um, and I know everyone's different. So when I explained this methodology to my friends, I was like, yeah, so I really think that you shouldn't open your packs and all this. One of my friends said to me, you're taking all the fun out of the game. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's just kind of everyone's different. And for me, this is this is just how I get the most fun out of Arena. It's not going to be the same for everyone. But I know that there's lots of, I guess, grinders out there like me who this sort of uh, thinking and, and methodology really appeals to. So, yeah, I, I hope that this helps some people out there. Yeah, yeah, that's that's wonderful. So just before we wrap up here, I wanted to ask you, you said that you did 44 drafts. Do you have a record of your overall win rate throughout those drafts, or do you have an estimate? I, I've got the tally of my wins here. So so from the from the 44 drafts, two of them were ranked draft. And forty-two were best of three. Oh, nice. Okay, so you were you were basically going infinite. It was basically infinite. I from these, I ended up gems from these forty-two best of three drafts. Um, but had I not, I would have had a lot of gold to dip into to sort of top it up. So I, I, I don't want people to think that you need to go infinite in order to collect a set. I think that's kind of it's only beside the message that I'm trying to get across. Um, but my match win rate in best of three across these 42 drafts was 75%. Um, so that's not a game win rate. That's a, a match win rate. So I have to say is that's a good win rate. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I consider myself a strong limited player, definitely. But um, to be honest, I put a lot of, um, I never play magic when I'm not able to fully uh commit myself to it so if i'm if i'm sleepy or something like that i, I won't draft um and i was also actually this is a sort of an, an additional step that i took in order to i guess really protect my win rate but i noticed that depending on what time of the day i was playing uh, my win rate was actually changing quite a bit and um so i was actually having a lot of trouble uh getting these sorts getting to you know three wins and stuff when i was playing at like 9 a.m on a weekday and i sort of i started scratching my head i was like why is this and i thought well you know the casual players the, ca the players that i want to be matching up against they're at work at yes. the moment i think yes. the, the people who are on magic at 9 a.m on a wednesday are like the hardcore moto grinders who you know they're just trying to get value out of the game like i am so i actually started shifting what time i played the game and uh <laughs> you don't need to go to that to these lengths if you want to you know get the most out of arena but this is sort of um i guess how i managed to end up with with this win rate at the end of 42 drafts you know, it, this is exactly like what I was saying about drafting old sets. It's the same thing. And I noticed this too is uh, in, in my own time zone, I noticed that there were particular times when I was just getting destroyed versus times when I was <laughs> yeah. winning uh, six matches in a row. And so 
I again, it's it's um, one of those things you can definitely maximize this if you feel like it, and there's nothing wrong with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Being smart across the board there, um, but still, you know, I have to congratulate you. Seventy five percent win rate is a very good win rate. A question that I did get a lot on Reddit was, um, how difficult is the best of three queue? Because you know, it's this sort of high stakes queue. Um, there's a lot of, uh, I guess people think of it as like only the pros are in that queue because it costs twice as much. Um, but I really want to stress that that's not the case. And I think a lot more people should be in the traditional draft queue than actually are. Because I was seeing plenty of things that you shouldn't see, like 50-card, 60-card decks. Oh, geez. Um, things like deafening silence in, in main boards. This is just a, a non-playable uh, white uncommon. Um, so I think the average quality of, of a player in, in traditional draft is probably maybe like a high silver or a low gold, which is not, that's, I think that's, you know, it's people, most people can surmount that rank, I think. So I think that, um, yeah, I think a lot, a lot more people should be in this queue than, than currently are. Um, and I think players will be pleasantly surprised when they kind of make the jump, um, from rank draft to traditional draft also because ranked draft because it's matching you against people of your rank it's pushing your win rate to 50 percent it's very hard to overperform in ranked draft you know if you're a if you're a diamond player and you're getting matched against diamond players but for me i'm just matching against people that have my record so if i'm if i'm zero zero with my draft deck i'm matching against someone else who's zero zero so in in that in that uh, game, I'm going to have a much higher win rate than if I'm matching against, you know, let's say that I'm I'm platinum and I'm matching against another platinum player. My win rate, I don't know. I don't think it can be that far from 50% really. That's that's a really good point. So you're actually, you're just giving yourself an overall better chance of, of getting matched against an inferior player and just another way to bump up that percentage, right? Take that candy from those yeah. kids. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is really what we're trying to do here at the Arena Craft Podcast. You're welcome. I, I do I do what I can to <laughs> to help you get an edge in the game of magic. Well, Marcus, thanks so much for coming on the show. I've really appreciated hearing your hard and fast data, and I think it's just it's really good to be reminded of all of this stuff. Um, I think most players are not approaching the game with this level of of detail, and I think that it really helps just to have as a reference. So really, really appreciate the hard work that you've done on this. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having me on the show. Yeah. And before we go, uh, do you have an online following that you would like to direct people to? Uh, I am on Twitch. I don't draft a whole lot with my PhD at the moment, but uh, on Twitch, I am. Uh, my handle is 20, so 20MB for like megabyte underscore romano r-o-m-a-n-o but um yeah i'm not not particularly active at the moment unfortunately okay well we'll put a link to that in the show notes nevertheless and i'll also put a link to the article that you posted on our spikes in case anyone wants to read that you also included some good links in that article to a couple of other resources that would also benefit people if they want to get really into the nitty-gritty around this so yeah, just, just look in the show notes if you want to learn more about this. Thanks so much, Marcus. Again, it's been great to have you on the show.
Great to be on the show. Thank you. And thanks to you for listening to this show. If you would like to join the community and get involved, a great way to do that would be to join our Discord server. Link to that in the show notes. You can also write to me at arenacraftpod at gmail.com and or reach out to me on, you know, the various social media platforms. You know where to go. Link in the show notes. So, yeah, I hope this has been a good year for you as well. I wish you the best of luck moving into 2020 with your magic goals and any other goals in your life. Best place to start is today and right now. So go out there and get it. And I will look forward to being with you next week.